You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. to engage the word with me. So take out your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 15, and follow along. We're starting with verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to to him cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. The Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they served as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Heather. So that question, Abram asked God, how can I know? Did you hear that? That's a big question, isn't it? (laughs) That's, that's how we know we're children of Abraham, because that's our question, too, especially when it comes to change and following God into new territory and trusting his promises, trusting it will all be okay, when it all feels very scary. How can I know? What I know about myself is that I want the answer to that question for everything, everything, because I like certainty. Anybody else in here with me on the certainty train? Yeah, I like plans and answers and strategies. I don't like not knowing. Surely, I think this is not just me. It's our human condition. It's the thing that God has always hoped we might surrender 
It's why we rebelled in the beginning. Do you remember the one tree we were told not to touch in the Garden of Eden was what tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we ate from it anyway because we were convinced we'd be better off if we had the answer to all the things. We want the answer to the question. We all want the answer to the question Abram asked God. How can I know? We want the answer to that question. But it's a problem for us because as it turns out, our quest for certainty is actually a quest for control. When we understand it, we can control it. So we want all our circumstances to travel in straight lines from cause to effect so we can understand them and explain them and find our comfort and our ability to make all the pieces fit. I want to know that the seed I plant will produce the flowers that grow that I can then cut and put on my table in a vase. When I can draw a straight line from my effort to that effect, when I can see it and it all adds up and makes sense, when our relationships are predictable and our future is laid out, I can feel like I am in control of my life. And that is a feeling I like. We all like certainty. Can I get an amen? amen. But here's what I'm learning lately. What I'm learning is that God is not as interested in certainty as he is in faith. And that's because some things only make sense when the path from point A to point B comes off the page and makes contact with the character and power of God. So what gets me off the page between point A and point B is faith in God. Faith in God is a different kind of knowing. I actually believe it's a higher form of knowing. And in, in this piece of the story of God that we just heard, Genesis chapters 15, actually all the way through chapter 18, we begin to understand just how the concept of faith works and why it is so important to the process of following God. We get to see how faith becomes a valid answer to that question, how can I know? And how it begins to shape not only circumstances, but also my character. So let's look again at Genesis chapter 15. As Heather said, the best way to be all in on the message is with the Bible and some way to take notes. And if you have your Bible, I actually want you to mark some things in it this morning. So first, I want you to underline that statement in verse 1 where God says, I am your shield, or whatever is close to that statement that's in your Bible. I am your shield. In verse 5, I want you to underline the phrase, count the stars. Do you see that one? Count the stars. And then in verse 8, I want you to underline that huge question. Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? And then in verse 17, I want you to underline the phrase, smoking fire pot, which is kind of a strange thing to underline, but we'll get to it, okay? And then I want you to do one more thing. I want you to put a bracket somehow, whatever way your, your Bible allows you, around verses 7 to 18. And I want you to label that bracket with the word covenant. All right, are you all with me? Have you done that? Great. All right, let's start with that line that describes the character of God. God says to Abram, I am your shield. Now, depending on your translation, that line may show up differently. In some Bibles, it's translated as, I will defend you, or I will protect you, or I am your exceedingly great reward. These are 
always that line has been translated, and this is my favorite. I, I found this translation, I am your super abundance. Don't you love that? Speak that line over whatever feels desperate or desperate or, or desolate right now. I am your super abundance. Speak that over whatever in your life doesn't feel like it will ever be enough. This is so important to Abram's story because this is what the covenant between God and Abram will stand on. The covenant God establishes with Abram is not established on Abram's circumstances or behavior, but on God's character. God will be Abram's shield. God will be Abram's great reward. God can be trusted to protect and defend and provide. Abram can count on that. It's the foundation on which covenant is built. So now, verses 7 through 18, we marked those, uh, those verses. It's where God builds an actual covenant with Abram, kind of promise. And to seal the deal, God takes Abram through a kind of ceremony, a kind of ancient world signing of the papers. God tells him, get a cow, a goat, a ram, and a couple of birds. Aren't you glad we don't do contracts like that anymore? Oh, you, you want to buy this car? Come back with a cow, a goat, a ram, and a couple of birds, and we'll talk. Cut them in half. That's even taking it to another level. So, so God says, get these animals and cut them in half, and I want you to lay the halves in two lines with space between the lines. So Abram did that, and then he had this sort of dream vision where God told him the future of his people. It would not be a straight line from this moment to this moment. No, there's going to be 400 years of slavery and redemption and affliction and wandering, but finally, at the end of it all, there will be abundance. You will land in the middle of my promises. Count the stars, God says. A couple of, cha uh, couple of chapters earlier, he says, count the dust. This is how many children you'll have, Abram. God says that to an old man who doesn't yet have one child. It doesn't seem logical or possible, and it isn't if you're only thinking horizontally. But God's promises don't travel along the line of our potential. God's promises travel along the line of his character. So this is the answer to Abram's question. How can I know? God answers, you're not going to know, at least not in the ways that feel easy to you. You're not going to know in some logical point A to point B way. The knowing will come from your trust and your faith in my character and in my promise. Does that make sense? So do you see how faith is a legitimate kind of knowing, but it doesn't travel through our minds. It comes off the page and goes through the mind of Christ. Let me say that again. Faith is a legitimate kind of knowing, but it doesn't travel through our minds. It comes off the page and goes through the mind of Christ. So God shows Abram all that, and then God does this thing. And it is the thing that signifies covenants from here out. It's a perfect visual aid for this whole idea of what connects point A to point B in kingdom logic. Remember, 
The two halves of Abram's sacrifice are laying there like two points in a line, and God connects them, listen, not by drawing a line from one side to the other, but by passing through them. Can you visualize that? God passes between the two halves of the sacrifice, and God connects the dots. He doesn't ask Abram to pass between the two halves. Abram can't draw that kind of line on his own. He doesn't have the power to connect those dots. That kind of line can only happen by the power and character of God. So this covenant isn't going to be built on Abram's character, but on God's. Does this make sense? Are you with me so far? In other words, God made promises to Abram that required nothing from Abram except faith in kingdom logic and the character of God. That God's character requires God to keep his promises. This is God's covenant. This is God's responsibility. Abram isn't asked to do anything but believe, which I believe is all God was asking of the first humans in the Garden of Eden. And they showed us, this is hard to do. Amen? Trusting God is hard. Holding faith is hard. And so while Abram believes God in the moment, he falters. His wife wants a child so bad. And Abram's just trying so hard to make his wife happy. Nobody in here gets that, I'm sure. But God hasn't given it. So she takes matters into her own hands with her husband's blessing. Sarah, she wants to know. This is where the story takes us in chapter 16. Sarai is impatient with God's plan. So she has Abram sleep with her servant, a woman named Hagar, who is broken by this choice. This decision Sarai makes wreaks all kinds of havoc, and Hagar is forced to run away. And what about Abram? This is the man God chose, whose faith was counted as righteousness, and now here he is making what, what our grandbaby Emmy Joe would call a red choice. <laughs> Did he have any idea how damaging it can be to take a passive approach to life, damaging not just to himself but to others. Have you, have you been on either side of that frustration, passively avoiding something or, or having your life changed by someone who just didn't want to trust God's plan and wait, creating a chain of damage and pain that can't be undone no matter how much the regret Friends, remember, God is not as interested in certainty as he is in faith. And most of our biggest mistakes happen when we shoot for certainty instead of trusting in the promises and the character of God. In this story, God doesn't leave Hagar in a hopeless place. She's, she's given birth to a child named Ishmael. So a lot of times in Christian circles now, we'll talk about birthing an Ishmael, which means giving birth to something because you've tried to, to manhandle an idea or force it to happen before it's time. Hagar is given birth to this child named Ishmael because Sarai and Abram don't want to wait for God's timing. 
And just as she begins to lose faith in this whole thing, heaven breaks in. An angel appears. Hagar calls on the name of the Lord. And when he answers, she is filled with hope again. He doesn't erase all her problems. Actually, he sends her right back to the household she ran from. But, but, he, but, he, but he answers. He brings her himself. And for Hagar, that's enough. God himself carries her from point A to point B. So Hagar names this God who has come to her in the wilderness, El Roy, the God who sees me. And she says, I have seen the one who looks after me. She's the only human in the whole Old Testament to give a name to God. And her name becomes an answer to our question, how can I know the answer is, I can't. I cannot know the answer to my circumstances. I cannot control what I don't control. But I can know God, and I can trust his character, and I can lean on his promises because they can be trusted too. This whole business about being more interested in certainty, or sorry, more interested in faith and certainty, it hit home to me in a really deep and personal way um, in, recent, in recent days. You know, two weeks ago, we made the announcement in here that Mosaic is about to shift seasons. After 20 years of ministry under one pastor, we sense that it's time to, 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 to hand ministry to the next generation. And so... I'm stepping aside so that Christopher, who's been raised up in our ministry, so that Christopher can lead. I've been sensing that God might be leading us here for a while. And I got to tell you, the waiting was hard, especially during COVID and during the whole uh, UMC thing that would never seem to end. But eventually we got to the place where it seemed right. And so in August 1st, we'll, we'll hand... Uh, the leadership of Mosaic over to the next generation of leaders and will hand ministry over to a next generation of leadership. And I have to tell you, that seems very right to me. When I think about Mosaic, this seems like the right thing for Mosaic. This seems like the right thing for Christopher, the right call on his life. There's just this one tiny detail I have no clue what happens to me next. No clue. You think, I know I'm just not telling you? No. I have no clue. I know this, that I have ministry in front of me, that I have fire in my bones, that I have a deep desire to do what I've been doing for my whole adult life. I just don't know what it is yet. And last week, God gave me this word. I'm not as interested in certainty as I am in faith. And I got on my knees. I'm, I got on my knees and I said, God, if you will give me faith this year, I'll give you all my questions. I would rather have another level of faith that I have never experienced before. I would rather go deep in the gift of faith, not just salvation faith. I know where I'm going when I die. Don't come up and worry about that with me. I know where I'm going when I die, but I'm talking about the kind of faith that causes you to walk to the train station to buy a ticket when you have no money in your pocket. God, if you'll give me faith, I'll give you my questions. 
chapter 17, God speaks his promise over Abram's life again. And this time he gives Abram a new name. This time God shows Abram that these promises are meant to change the character of the man. When we lean on the promises of God, it's, it's not so God will change our circumstances. It's so God will change us. God's promises are meant to change our character. So Abram becomes Abraham, whose name means father of many. Sarai becomes Sarah, mother of nations. Saul becomes Paul, missionary to the Gentiles. Simon becomes Peter, the rock on which Christ will build his church. All this is God's way of saying to his people, I'm not the one who changes. I'm faithful, and I will not leave you or forsake you, but in order for you to live into my promises, you have to change so nothing of your old DNA transfers into this new family. So God tells Abram, chapter 17, verse 1, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I am God Almighty. So there it is, the answer to our question. How can I know? According to the sages, El Shaddai, God Almighty, means I said to the wor world, enough. <laughs> this name of God is a precious promise to his children. In the face of your great need, in the face of all your questions, I am enough. That's all you need to know. I am enough. Before you existed, I, I declared your value and caused you to live. I am enough. When you found yourself in a pit of your own making, I saved you out of my mercy and grace. Come on, friends. I am enough. When you realized your powerlessness and cried out, I heard you. Come on. I am enough. When you wondered what you were made for, I proclaimed a destiny over you. Come on. I am enough. God says to Abraham, this new man who is learning through his trials to trust the lines of God's logic, that the answer to his question is not an explanation, but a character. God says, I am enough. God's promises are built on God's character, and faith in that truth ought to change us. This is where this story of the chapter ends, or this chapter of the story ends. It ends with a sacramental act designed to show Abram in a very personal, real way that his faith in God's promises will permanently alter his life. Look at chapter 17, verse nine, start with verse 9. And then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. 
the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not, who is not circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give her a son, give you a son by her. I will bless her so she will be the mother of nations, kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down and laughed. Isn't that the best? God has decided to make this mark in the flesh of his people, almost like nail prints in a hand, to remind us that his promises are are meant to fundamentally change who we are. And God keeps his promises even if we cannot see logically how they will be carried out. Right. But before I do something drastic like this, don't I need to know how can I know? Don't you get it yet? That knowing is the great lesson of Abraham's story. In the kingdom of God, knowing comes by faith in the one who promises. So, God, so Paul tells the Romans, chapter 4, verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but not, not through something he could control, not through his behavior, not something he did, no, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, it's not through logic or control, but through faith. The promise comes by faith. Paul says, Romans 4, 16, So it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Abraham is our father by faith. He is the Mac Daddy of faith leaving his home and his people, going to a place he didn't even know the name of, offering to sacrifice his beloved son, the ultimate test. Nothing in his circumstances confirmed what God promised him. And yet, by faith, Abraham heard God's challenge to trust this. Paul says, Romans 4.17, 417, that Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God calls into being things that were not. Not like some cheap version of name it and claim it theology, but like people who believe God does make promises and God does have the power to come through. And sometimes my best strategy is not to focus on my circumstances, but to believe the one who is Lord over them. Which means 
God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your, your battlefield. He's not afraid of your dead ends. Those are the places where he does some of his best work. Paul goes on, Romans 4.18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. I just love that. Paul's, Paul's pretty blunt there. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, but he did not waver in faith regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Here it is, friends. God has power to do what he promises. Say that together with me. Ready? Go. God has power to do what he promises. Say it again. God has power to do what he promises. Trust this, children of Abraham, because your faith is the most valuable thing you have to offer this world. Trust this, because God does not change, and what he has spoken, he will do. Trust this, because our God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Before we come to the close, I just want to go back to that smoking fire pot in chapter 15. Do you remember that piece of the story that set the theme for the whole chapter in Abram's story. Remember that, Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. Abram has stacked up those two pieces of animals. and He's got two rows of animals' pieces. <laughs> and then he falls into a deep sleep, and God lays out for him how it's all going to work out. And then, in this very supernatural moment, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch pass between those two sacrifices. Maybe this is just a coincidence. You can't draw a straight line from Abraham to Peter exactly. But this scene reminds me of two scenes in Simon Peter's story, both of them in front of a smoking fire pot. The first one is Peter standing by a fire pot the day they arrested Jesus. Do you remember this story? In that scene, Peter is asked, accused actually, of knowing Jesus, of being one of his followers. And Peter denies it. That moment in Peter's life, that scene by that fire pit, has the same flavor about it as Abram sleeping with Hagar. Here are two great men wanting to believe God, but trying to make it happen logically, defensively. And in that process, losing faith in God's superabundance, in God's enoughness. Peter has a crisis of faith around that question. How can I know? But then Jesus, after that moment, Jesus is nailed to a cross and killed and his blood pours out and Jesus sees all of that and Jesus becomes the new covenant equivalent to all Abram uh, encountered that day with God and those animals. And then, as if that's not enough, Jesus, unlike the, uh, the, 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 the ram and the birds and all those animals, Jesus comes back. He carries life. 
And he appears to, to Peter on a beach, and they're on the beach again with a fire between them. Jesus speaks promise and purpose over Peter's life. And what sits between those two moments in Peter's life, what stands between those two fires in his life, I'll tell you what stands between them, the cross. God becomes the the sacrifice that passes between the two halves of Peter's life. And from the cross, God proclaims his character and he asks Peter to believe. So how can I know? Anything. The cross. The cross is how I can know. And what God said to Abraham and to Sarah and to Hagar and to Peter, God now stands ready to say to us, believe that I am enough, God says. I am your shield, your defender, your superabundance. And I stand ready to walk between the two halves of your broken life. And all I ask of you is faith enough to believe that the shortest path between the broken parts of you runs through the cross. And I know you want answers. And I know that certainty is easier for broken people. But it is not certainty that makes us whole. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. So when is the last time you prayed, not for an answer to your question, but for the quality of your faith? When is the last time you prayed just... You just set all the questions up on the altar and you said, never mind these questions, God. Just give me faith. Give me faith enough to believe that you are a God who keeps his promises. That even if I don't see it, you do. That your timing is better than my timing. When is the last time you just laid it out on the table and said, you know what? I would rather have faith than certainty. That's what I invite you to do today. Would you stand? I give you an opportunity right now. You have an invitation to pray, not for the answer to all your questions, but for the quality of your faith, the quantity of your faith. And you can come and get on your knees here. An altar is a great place to do this, to to get on your knees and to set it before God. That's exactly what I did Last week, and I got to tell you, there's something to be said for it. Tell you what, God, I think I'd rather have faith than certainty right now. I'm not even sure I'm asking the right questions. So I think I'd rather have faith so you can teach me the questions I should be asking. <laughs> Lord God, I pray for my friends. I pray that you would pour over them the gift of faith right now. Actually, what I'm asking is that you give them the courage to ask for it for themselves. It's not something I can impart, God. It's something only you can impart. Only you can impart it. So I've 
There's people coming right now. You can come. Get on your knees and pray for the quality of your faith. Just your faith. Just pray. Because ours is a good God. His character is not the character we, we worry about. It's, it's our own character that needs changing. Jesus. Jesus, fill us with faith. May it be so. May it be so. You're welcome to come. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.